I think I forgot to tell you my name when I was up while I go, but I'm Leslie Rowe, and I'm on staff here at Denton North. And sometimes when I say that, I kind of feel like if I were to go to the breakfast table in the morning and say, hi, my name's Mom, I live here, and uh, yeah, welcome to breakfast. Um, And that would be really kind of weird, but it wouldn't be weird if I walked in and there were people sitting there I didn't know, which happens sometimes at my house, to go in and introduce myself. So there's always people here that don't know me, and so I feel like I need to introduce myself, even though I feel like it's kind of like saying, hey, I'm Mom. Um, I want to um, say that we are glad that Renee and Adam and Chad, and I just met her this morning, is it Amy? Okay, good, are here this morning, and that Ray Royal and Kale Rowe are here this morning, Um, and there may be other people, and if I'm missing you, I'm really sorry, but... These people are from our family of churches. They've done a lot to support and grow the Focus Ministry as well as Denton North and really made some big sacrifices in order for Denton North to happen. And so I always want to welcome them and recognize them and just tell them how much we appreciate their support um, of us being here. And so if you get a chance this morning, introduce yourself to them, give them a big hug, tell them thank you. Um, But we're just really glad that you guys could be with us this morning. We're in the middle of a series on Christian sexual ethics. We're using the book of the Song of Songs as our text. Um, It's not as much a Bible study of that as it is using that text in order to have a bigger conversation. And this morning's sermon is going to be a little bit different from some of the other ones we've had. Um, But... I just want you to know. Which? Josh told me to tell you. I hate him. No. <laughs> it's funny that you would say that because I just told somebody this morning I always use the microphone because I have trouble hearing sometimes if somebody's not mic'd. And then I get up here and I forget to bring the microphone up here. So thank you for telling me that, Chelsea. And I don't hate you, Josh. I really love you a lot. Um, But today's sermon is going to be just a little bit different from the ones we've had. And some of you are going to go, why didn't you preach this sermon the Sunday our parents were here instead of the one where you said sex a whole lot? Because I think I'm not going to say that word like the rest of the sermon today, which is really kind of weird for this particular series that we've been having So, um, yeah, I don't know why we didn't reverse those, but I think our parents learned a lot about sex when they were here that weekend, so it was good. So we're going to start this morning with a video clip to introduce the topic today. Part of it is a little bit dark, so just kind of hang in there. I'm hoping it'll get lighter. It wasn't as dark on my screen, so hopefully we'll be able to see it. Sam. 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 Sam.
What channel do you put it on, Sam? Can we do it or should we just move on? Just follow the deal. It's right there. We have to hear it. I don't know the I don't have any control of the Should we just move on? I guess so. The Alright, so it's not happening. Technical difficulties. So we'll just go on without it. And but basically it's the clip where Gru is deciding that he likes Lucy and that he's gonna ask her out. And so it's this scene where he sits with the telephone in front of him and he's trying to work up the nerve to pick up the telephone and finally he winds up just blowing it away with a laser beam. <laughs> and so what we're going to talk about this morning is the risks in relationships. And I want you to know that I looked long and hard to find the perfect video clip to start with and now it didn't work. So we're going to go on anyway. Um, so relationships are scary. They're hard. And a lot of times we get to the point where we're just like, forget this. I'm just going to um, blow it up with a laser beam. I'm not doing this. And while dating and marriage relationships can be risky, so can any type of relationship, even friendships. So we're going to explore risks in relationships, in dating, in marriage, in friendship, um, just kind of across the board this morning. So we're going to start in Song of Songs, um, chapter 5, verse 2, and I'm going to read through 6.10. And this morning I chose to read out of the message. Um, Eugene Peterson, who translated the message, said that it's a reading Bible, that it's translated in order to get people to read. And so it's translated in a language that's easy to understand and that flows easily. But he also said it was never intended to take the place of a study Bible. And so this is, I'm using this this morning because we're not particularly studying this text as much as we're using it. And so I'm going to read this out of the message. Five, starting in verse two. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? But my lover wouldn't take no for an answer. And the longer he knocked, the more excited I became. I got up to open the door to my lover, sweetly ready to receive him. I love that word, sweetly. Like, all of a sudden, she's like, sweetly ready to receive him. When before, she's like, you really want me to get up out of bed? I'm not dressed and my feet are clean. <laughs> Desiring and expectant as I turned the door handle. But when I opened the door, he was gone. My loved one had tired of waiting and left. And I died inside. Oh, I felt so bad. I ran out looking for him, but he was nowhere to be found. I called into the darkness, but no answer. The night watchmen found me as they patrolled the streets of the city. They slapped and beat and bruised me, ripping off my clothes, these watchmen who were supposed to be guarding the city. I beg you, sisters in Jerusalem, if you find my lover, please tell him I want him, that I'm heartsick with love for him. What's so great about your lover, fair lady? What's so special about him that you beg for our help? 
My dear lover glows with health, red-blooded, radiant. He's one in a million. There's no one quite like him. My golden one, pure and untarnished, with raven-black curls tumbling across his shoulders. His eyes are like doves, soft and bright, but deep-set, brimming with meaning, like wells of water. His face is rugged, his beard smells like sage. His voice, his words, warm and reassuring. Fine muscles ripple beneath his skin, quiet and beautiful. His torso is the work of a sculptor, hard and smooth as ivory. He stands tall like a cedar, strong and deep-rooted. A rugged mountain of a man, aromatic with wood and stone. His words are kisses, his kisses words. Everything about him delights me, thrills me through and through. That's my lover, that's my man, dear Jerusalem sisters. So where has this love of yours gone, fair one? Where on earth can he be? Can we help you look for him? Never mind, my lover is already on his way to his garden, to browse among the flowers, touching the colors and forms. I am my lover's and my lover is mine. He caresses the sweet-smelling flowers. Dear, dear friend and lover, you're as beautiful as Tizra, city of delights, lovely as Jerusalem, city of dreams, the ravishing visions of my ecstasy. Your beauty is too much for me. I'm in over my head. I'm not used to this. I can't take it in. Your hair flows and shimmers like a flock of goats in the distance, streaming down a hillside in the sunshine. Your smile is generous and full, expressive and strong and clean. Your veiled cheeks are soft and radiant. There's no one like her on earth, never has been, never will be. She's a woman beyond compare. But my dove, my perfect one, is unique. The only daughter of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The young woman saw her and called her, the young women saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines praised her. Who is this that appears like the dawn, fair as the moon, bright as the sun, majestic as the stars in the procession? And so we're going to focus in on verses 1 through 8 with this, and then we're just going to kind of mention the other ones. So love is a risky business. It involves moments of intimacy and passion, which we've seen in the first four chapters of Song of Songs. It also involves moments of vulnerability, insecurity, fear, and loss. Here in chapter 5, we see what seems to be a dream about misunderstanding, loss, and separation. The shepherd lover comes to be with his beloved. He knocks on the door, but she doesn't let him in. She makes excuses for why not. I'm already in bed. My feet are already washed. Do you really want me to get up and get them dirty again? And this is a lot different from the earlier interactions we've seen between the two of them because we've seen usually that they're eager to be together. She's eager to be with him. And we don't know what's happened. It doesn't really explain that, but we know there's been some kind of a misunderstanding or disagreement. Maybe she's just tired. Whatever the issue, she changes her mind, but it's too late because he's already given up and left. When she realizes he's gone, her response is, I died inside. Oh, I felt so bad. And don't we all feel this way sometimes when we've hurt somebody that we love or when we've sent them away when we didn't really want to? There is a painful separation in their relationship, and separation in relationship is painful. Um, I'm going to put an image up, and hopefully this will work better than the um, clip 
did, but where is my image person? Okay. So, we'll go on. I'm on it. You're on it? Okay, it's a painting. By Edward Munch. <laughs> Thank you. So Grant Trotter sent me this. I won't take credit for it all on my own. Um, but one thing I will mention as a side note here is he knew that this was going to be the topic, and he ran across this and thought it would be something that we could use. So when you know what topics are coming up and you run across things that you think might be useful, I would love it if you would send it to us because it is really helpful and it brings in some things into the lesson that might not otherwise be there. So this is a picture by Edward Munch and it's just called Separation, I believe. Um, And it's a really good depiction, I think, of what it feels like to be separated in a relationship and how painful it is. Because relationships are full of risk of rejection and pain and injury. The people closest to you, unfortunately, are the people that can hurt you the most. And so many of us have decided that the solution to that is just to not be vulnerable with people. To not give them the chance to hurt us. To not let them close. In dating, and sadly even sometimes in marriage... We draw a line in the sand and we only let people come so far in knowing us. We guard against having any intimate relationships where people really, truly know who we are. We won't get involved in other people's lives because they might not reciprocate or they might use us or we might pour into them and they might walk away and that hurts. We often hold back from loving wholeheartedly out of fear that we'll get hurt. But here's the deal. We're human, and so we're imperfect. We have the capacity to love, but did I mention we're imperfect? And because of this, getting hurt is not just a risk. It is a certainty. You cannot have relationship without hurt and pain somewhere along the way. It's a risk we have to take. But as we talked about in the last sermon that we had on marriage and intimacy, God has called us to a self-giving love. It's impossible to have intimacy without self-giving. The extent to which we are willing to risk to be vulnerable is the extent to which we will experience the intimacy of love. And that's just a fact, and we have to come to terms with that, that there is risk in that. C.S. Lewis said it this way. There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. I think it's interesting that he correlates that to selfishness, whereas God correlates intimate love to self-giving. But in the casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. Your heart will change, is what he's talking about there. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, 
irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. See, what he's saying there is that we can choose not to open ourselves to the risk of love, but in doing so, we make our heart hard. The self-giving love that God has called us to within marriage as well as within friendship requires risk. Just as the beloved didn't open the door for her lover, we're always afraid that people will not reciprocate our love in whatever kind of relationship it is. But Jesus is our model for relationships, and Jesus took risks in relationships. He was vulnerable. And in God also enters into vulnerable relationships with those that he created. And he doesn't call us to do anything he isn't already doing or hasn't already done himself. See, like the lover who stands at the beloved's door knocking in Song of Songs 5-2, God also knocks at the door in Revelations 3.20. And he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Just because God knocks, it doesn't guarantee a happy outcome. The person behind the door must still hear and open the door. Jesus took great risks in his relationships. He ate and talked with people who were religious and social outcasts. In Matthew eleven nineteen, Jesus is described as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Judas, his friend, someone he had lived life with and spent a lot of time with, someone he had revealed himself to in the deepest ways, betrayed him. When he was going through one of the most agonizing times of his life, his closest friends abandoned him because they were afraid. As disciples... As followers, as imitators of Jesus, we are called to risk being self-giving. We will be more vulnerable to the pain of rejection, the pain of indifference, and the pain of other people's demands, misunderstandings, and betrayals. And yet at the same time, we'll find more joy in serving others than we would find in pursuing possessions, position, performance, prestige, or even in getting our needs met. When we're securely grounded in Christ, the rewards of investing our lives in other people always exceed the pain that they can cause. I found a quote, actually Brad steered me towards it. It's actually a quote from Franz Kafka, who is a novelist and short story author who wrote in the German language, But Brad knew about it because a character, Bubbles on the Wire, quoted it. I've never seen that show, and I'm not recommending it to you at all, but I am going to share this quote with you. So Franz Kafka said, You can hold back from the suffering of the world. You have free permission to do so, and it is in accordance with your nature. But perhaps the holding back is the one suffering you could have avoided. Holding back is its own kind of suffering. If we'll take the risk, we can avoid that suffering and experience the joy of giving to another while trusting that Jesus is the one that will meet our needs. So I called Brad yesterday when I was working on my sermon, and I said, I'm having trouble transitioning from the first part of this sermon to the second part of it. And his response to me was, then don't. And I was like, 
don't what? And he said, don't transition. Just tell them you're going a different direction. And I was like, yeah, that's brilliant. (laughs) So I'm going a different direction now. As Brad and I talked about this topic, one of the things we noticed is that sometimes we're not very good at determining risks in relationships. We focus on things that appear to be risky rather than on things that are truly risky. This causes us to ignore bigger risks than what we're actually taking. So let me give you an example. Because we watch the news and listen to the horrible things that happen, we're worried about the risk of being shot or kidnapped or attacked. And those are risks. But the bigger risk is diabetes and heart disease and high cholesterol. And we tend to ignore those things because we're worried about these things that are a much lesser risk than those things are. When we do our risk assessment based on appearances, we focus on the lesser risk and we don't do anything about the really big risks. People worried about appearances. They worried about tax collectors and sinners and Jesus talking to women or Samaritans. But Jesus saw past that. And it allowed him to take risks in ministering to people. So I have just three different ones, and I could come up with a thousand different ones to share with you. But these are just three um, that I thought would be valuable. Some of them are going to relate to dating and marriage. And then one of them is going to relate specifically just to friendships and roommate situations and things like that. So the first one is... Sometimes we focus on finding someone that we can have constant fun with in a relationship because we're afraid of the risk of the relationship growing boring. However, we ignore the bigger risk that I'm with someone that I don't share core values with. So we focus on this thing about I want to have fun in my relationship, I don't want it to be boring, and we ignore the fact that we don't have any core values together. See, not having core values is a far greater risk than not having fun. Having fun in your relationship is important. It's just not the bigger deal. In doing some research, I found a study by Carl Pillemer, who's a professor of human development at Cornell University. And he interviewed lots of long married couples, so people that had been married 40 years or more. And their number one must-have for a lasting relationship is similarity in core values. However, when interviewing young people, and he did this for over a year, asking them what they want in a relationship and what they look for in a relationship, the number one things they mentioned were physical attractiveness, having a good sense of humor, having a good job or stability, and that they're easy to talk to. I thought it was funny that he also added physical attractiveness a second time because he said, I heard that a lot. Rarely do people say, oh, I've just met the most wonderful person. And the best thing about it is we share the same core values. People don't talk like that. They don't say those things. Because to too many of us, that's not the most important thing. To a lot of us, that sounds really boring. And while differences in some areas are good, Differences in core values just make things difficult. Yeah. Yes? Like the three 
I had no idea. Three, three big risks. I don't know. Yeah. You just come up with a name for that, Mia, and then you can let me know, okay? It's hard to be unified when you're both going different directions. Marrying someone with different core values than you is a much greater risk than marrying someone you don't constantly have fun with. Remember the people that he interviewed? He called them elders, the people that had been married a long time. And I think that he chose that word to put the connotation of wisdom with what these people had to say. See, they were not all Christians. They weren't all non-Christians. They didn't have the same race. They had different ethnicities. They were from different socioeconomic class. They were a varied group. But their answer was the same in the number one factor that leads to a long-lasting marriage. Listen to experience. Core values and not having the same core values are the bigger risk in a relationship. So I want to put a plug in for Guide to Decide here. Some of you may know this by pre-E because they changed the name and I still can't quite get used to it. This is a great way to address this risk. Um, You meet with a mentor couple. You have homework to do, you and the person that you're dating. And it's quite lengthy. It takes a long time. And you do your homework assignment separately, and then you do your homework assignment together, and then you meet back again with the mentor couple. You cover topics like covenant and what that looks like, how your family of origin affects your perceptions of marriage, what do you want to keep and what do you want to do differently, what it looks like to leave home and the influence of your family, Communication, sex, self-giving love, how to serve the other person, conflict resolution, roles in decision-making, money, community, and core values is the underlying thing that runs through all of that. When you finish with um, with this curriculum, you leave with a pretty thorough understanding of each other's core values. And you also leave with a couple that's been married for a while and has some experience that can be a great resource for you should you choose to get married. Kurt and I do this, and we absolutely love it. And I cannot overstate the value to you. Okay, so the second risk is looking for someone who believes in God versus someone who is a disciple and wants to live their life for him. See, the second is a far greater risk than the first. There are usually two reasons I've run across why people focus on the first rather than the second. The first reason is because I want to date this person, and I won't feel good about it if they're not a Christian. And so I'm going to grab on to the fact that they say they believe in God no matter what their life shows, And that's going to make me feel okay with dating this person. We lie to ourselves so we can get what we want. And we lie to other people so we can keep them off our back. We ignore the greater risk and it is extremely dangerous. The second reason people do this is because we will change them. Our God is a God of freedom. He doesn't force himself on us. He lets us choose. 
And because of this, even people that Jesus cared deeply about and spent a lot of time with didn't change. What makes you think you're more influential than Jesus? You're not going to change a person. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16, it says it like this. Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership. That's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? Who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? But this is exactly what we are, each of us a temple in whom God lives. Talk about core values. This is the core value. How can you live your life with someone who isn't committed to the one person that determines how you live? And notice I didn't say that believes in the one person, but is committed to the one person. Look for someone who loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Someone who is a radical, sold-out disciple. Someone who will go anywhere God wants them to go, do anything God wants them to do, and give anything God wants them to give. Is there a chance a person will grow from being a believer to being a sold-out disciple? Of course there is. We see it happen over and over again. But only time will tell that. You need to give them time to build that relationship with Christ and to truly put him in the place of being the Lord of their life. Yes, there is a risk that in waiting, you might lose the opportunity to have a relationship with that person. But the greater risk is that you'll jump into a relationship with them and distract them from pursuing a deeper relationship with Christ And that that will never happen for them. And don't expect something you're not yourself. If you're looking for a sold-out disciple and you're not sold out yourself, you need to change that. You need to fix that before you start dating. Before you start dating, seriously, for sure. Dating or marrying someone who who is... Okay, wait a second. Let me make sure I'm going to say this right. (laughs) Dating or marrying someone who is not a Christian is a risk. But marrying or dating someone who is a Christian in name only is a greater risk. A great way to address this risk is to get wise counsel. Get input from people that know them. And give it time to see it proved out in their lives. Okay, the third one. Working on your relationship with the other person Versus working on your relationship with God. This is true in dating, in marriage, in friendships, in roommate situations, all kinds of relationships. We spend a lot of time staring at ourselves and at the other person, but little time staring at God. This is a huge risk. If our relationship with God is not good, our relationship with others will not be good. Most relationship problems are not relationship problems at all. They are God problems. They can be traced back to one or both people having a poor relationship with God or a faulty understanding of him. And when I say one or both people, I'm not talking about just in dating relationships. I'm talking about one or both people in friendships, one or both people in roommate situations. 
Our lack of intimacy with God causes a void we try to fill with the weakest of substitutes. We try and fill it with friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives, children. The world desperately needs to see a reflection of Christ in our dating relationships, our marriages, and our friendships. Draw close to God and let him meet your needs and then let your relationship be an overflow of that. Let God flow out of you and into the relationship. I want to speak to Corphas here for a minute. If you aren't familiar with that term, Corphas are basically our small group leaders in our campus ministries. And when I meet with Corphas, I, I hear oftentimes about how busy they are, about how many people they're meeting up with one-on-one, about how they spend time preparing for their core group about how they serve people and spend time with people and love people. But when I ask about their relationship with God, oftentimes the answer I I get is, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to sit and be still and just listen to him. They are totally focused on their relationship with the other person that they're trying to lead. And they do that out of a sincere love and devotion for Christ. But the most important thing you can do for the people in your core, the people you live with, the person you're dating, your children, the most important thing you can do hands down is grow your own relationship with God. You don't have anything to give to anybody else that's worth anything spiritually if your relationship with God is not growing and vibrant. And why is that the most important thing? It's the most important thing because God will flow out of your life into the people around you's lives. And guess what? People need more of God, not more of you. That's why it's so important. So before I finish with this passage, I want to point out one more thing. The love pictured here is a love that when misunderstanding occurs and there's a separation in the relationship, no time is wasted seeking reconciliation. In verse 6, it tells us she immediately runs out into the streets looking for him, even at great risk to herself. The gospel gives us a different yet similar picture. It's of a shepherd who won't rest until he finds the sheep that has been lost and gathers it in his arms and carries it back. See, true love, whether human or divine, never gives up. It always hopes for renewal of the relationship. And that's what we see at the end of this passage, Song of Songs, chapter Songs, chapter 6, verses 2 through 10. It's a beautiful example of how this relationship is reconciled and the intimacy that is restored in the relationship. Risky? Yes. But that's how our God loves us, and it's how we should love other people. As always, if you want to talk further about anything that I said this morning or any questions that you thought of while we were talking, please please feel free to let me know that. Please feel free to um, ask to get together and talk more. As we take communion this morning, I want to take a few minutes for you to answer the question, what are the risks Jesus took to love me?
And think about the lengths he was willing to go to in order to reconcile your relationship when there was separation. Thank him for that. And then we'll join in together as a church family and celebrate his risky love for us. So we're going to pray together. I want you to sit for a few minutes silently and think about those things. And then whenever you're ready, and thank God, and then whenever you're ready, get up and take communion. There will be three different places that you can go and get a cracker and dip it into the juice, and that's how we take communion. So let's pray together. God, I'm so thankful for the conversations that have been brought up as we've read through Song of Songs. I thank you that you would put such a beautiful book about intimacy and love and relationship in the Bible for us to read. I pray that we would learn to take the right risks in relationships and not to ignore the greatest risks um, and focus on the lesser risks. God, give us wisdom in that. I pray that we would focus on our relationship with you so that your love can flow out of us and into people around us. God, I just thank you that Jesus was someone that took risks in relationships and that he took a risk on me. And I thank you that um, he is eager to reconcile whenever there was separation and that he went to such great lengths in order to reunite us in our relationship. We can never thank you enough for that. We are awed by that. We are humbled by that. And we are grateful for that. And I just pray that as we have this time to think and reflect, and as we take communion together, that we'll be able to celebrate as a church family the great love that you have for us, the risky love that you have for us. We just love you a lot. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.